things, things that come and go, things to hold on to, things to believe in, things to remember and see, things to be excited by or delighted by, comforted by, depressed by, saddened by, the kind of texture of our life is so much caught up in and dances to the rhythm of things. And the Buddha's awakening was to the not thing, something that's not a thing. And he called it the deathless drum, the rhythm of the deathlessness, which is a different rhythm altogether. Because of this need to listen to a new tune, to pick up a different rhythm, a different style, a different way of, of responding, of harmonizing with life, Buddha's first teaching was mostly about a kind of negation, which wasn't a re- like a rejection in a disapproving way, so much as a a putting aside of the normal polarities within which our mind is moved. The two extremes, he said. So we could say, in some ways, just to understand the nature and the, the relevance of the two extremes gives us a sense of finding the balance, the very fine, exquisite balance between the two. And as in in much of the Buddha's teaching, what is expressed very simply, very briefly, and sometimes in quite a a strong way, has got a very far-reaching significance in our life. And the Buddha said there are two extremes, one of the is the holding on to, the increasing that in us which seeks to further, to add to ourself by adding more things, doing more things, accumulating more things. The augmentation experience, which can turn into um, just a kind of sensory greed And the other is the denial, 
the reduction, the cutting away, the rejection, which can turn into uh, a sort of self-punishment, mortification, asceticism. And he said, just try to understand these and learn these and not to follow the pull. You can recognize these pulls and just to, to let go of the pull to either of these is to walk the path of the Buddha. And I expect many of us would feel, well, I don't have any particular, I'm not an ascetic, I don't go into flogging myself, hair shirts, not my scene at all. And, you know, since an indulgence amounts to, you know, one night out of the pictures a week, and uh, it's not, you know, kind of wild sensory appetites. And yet, if we try to translate these things more contemplatively into just fundamental ways in which we live our lives, I think you find there's a lot more significance in that. There's something in us that wishes to continually extend ourselves out to hold more, to have more, to belong to more. This can be to uh, something like we like to family, group of people we belong to, or pets, we like to have pets. Something that extends our sphere of caring, our sphere of relationship. Just to, to note this is a very fundamental human feeling, quite a basic movement in us. Here we have, like, uh, you notice in the in just in, in, in this monastery that like, there's these cats, amazing cats. We see the most incredible devotion, and attention, and affection in monasteries. This is something that everybody has this fundamental urge to to extend the the sphere of their caring to something that just allows itself to be cared for. It doesn't do anything to earn it at all. It just, you know, <laughs> it doesn't try to be cared for. It doesn't. It just is, and kind of, and it's an object, like furry, and uh, seemingly um, speechless and 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 uh, helpless. You have to open doors for it. People are willing to get up and open doors for the cat. Don't open doors for me. <laughs> Stroke its tail. Whatever. We have vineyard classes. You know, the <coughs> venerable bhikkhu spent hours and hours studying the vinaya to expound it to the to the monks. The whole framework of their teaching, the whole things this is what to do. The cat only has to come in, everybody's eyes go to the cat. The cat comes near and he wants to paw and hold the cat's tail. Vinaya master gets upstaged by this cat which doesn't keep a single precept. <laughs> Very, you can feel yourself pulling out towards something to something to belong to, like a like a little creature like that. And we can certainly do that with many things, with our 
things that we find give us a sense of gentleness or innocence flowers and trees and nature people, children mind immediately just moves out to, in, to, in, to touch them, to include them in its, its sphere of being and this isn't to at all be critical or negative about this experience it's just to observe and note, note that kind of thing in us and uh, how how without that you know, your life sometimes feels dry and pointless without something to care for in some way in which your presence is extended or something to do you know, something to belong to, something we can a project we say we have pets, we also have pet hobbies, don't we? collect stamps, seashells, leaves, butterflies, eggshells anything we have pet projects, things we like to do and work out and get involved with now you consider this what, what is the root of it? What's the, what is it in us that moves out that way? seeks to extend ourselves now when we talk about not following what this means not following is is to instead of being just not understanding the movement we just we just believe in the actuality of the object so we we still see our life we don't question this we tend to just assume it and we just do it so that the mind follows without without consi- without actually valuing or evaluating what's happening why that's such a what a powerful feeling for us so the the practice of not following is like a it's a discernment to see it clearly and a detachment in that at that time we're not taking any particular viewpoint but we're awake to what's what's happening why do we why do we seek to extend ourselves and what are the results there's certainly something obviously very pleasing and yet it's also finally rather saddening because everything you extend yourself to, everything has a nature to change and move away pass, end go off so there's that, that quality to it and yet the movement the interest is a very real thing in us to extend ourselves in a, in a kind of sphere of caring and the, the, uh, the limitation on that is that what if we extend ourselves to in order to to improve it, to belong to it, to be part of it, has the nature to change and pass away. So our life, something now reaches out and whatever it touches tends towards crumbling away. And you can't not reach out and yet nothing lasts. Looking at the darkness which is reducing the this can sometimes it's like uh, something that wants to get rid of things, put things away. There's a feeling sometimes in the in the, in the heart of a 
regret or a wishing to purify ourselves, wishing to cleanse ourselves. And those people get into kind of washing themselves endlessly, or even punishing themselves, feeling unworthy and wanting to kind of strip away, strip away, strip away, strip away and get to something, some pure center of being, something that will kind of get rid of the dross or the contagion of our lives or the, the deadness of it or the fuzziness of it or the confusion of it or the, somebody wants to kind of purify and, and get away from and clean out you can find these things happening unconsciously almost instinctively when you as you practice more you, like something you don't eat sometimes you just don't eat anything or you don't want to speak to people you don't want to see anything Though you don't haven't got anything really that's wrong, you just feel this sense of just wanting to, to, to just shuck it all off, because it always seems so dead. And uh, this can all come into something wanting to almost like a self-punishment experience. so that we begin to see spiritual practice as in a strange way, a kind of way of purifying and punishing ourselves for being alive so we deny ourselves things and we're tough on ourselves and we're hard on ourselves and we're disciplined and we're firm and though these of course are essential aspects of the path it's easy to just turn them over into a, a kind of slightly obsessive negation of, of, our, of our life. A feeling that there's something we have to be, something in us we have to get rid of. Some kind of fundamental dirt or pain or memory or being that we have to expunge. So you, you sometimes you find yourself using duties like that. Life and routines to put yourself through it kind of grimly, and you do things like, it'll be good for me, need to kind of put myself through it, good for me. So actually it's easy to practice spiritual life in either of those ways. In fact, I think most people do practice it in one of those ways. Sometimes it fluctuates Perhaps it's not so gross, but it kind of fluctuates one to the other. For example, like we like to, in some ways, something in us wants to be uh, a community, related, caring, sharing, being with each other, sense of proper connection and communication, so that this circle of our being is extended through others and enriched, and it's made manifold. We don't want to be alone, it seems dry to just be living life on your own, in your own terms. We want to be part of something that is not just from our own volition, not just from what I want, but somehow part of something that we respond to. And yet, other times you think, you really want to be alone. You know, being with people, after all you just get so frazzled and confused and 
you think, well, have a, some kind of sharing experience. Right, let's share and be and communicate. What do you talk about? Kind of frayed, discordant conversations and rambling. Ah, we'll be on my own. It's, you know, the still centre of being, that's what I want, is to be clear, alone, one-pointed. When you're alone at one point, you're not one It seems kind of dry and heartless, doesn't it? You need to be more sharing with others. <laughs> so you, you, know, you get these aloneness and uh, community are in some ways subtler aspects of this polarization of our life. And of course, both of them, as, you, as we can see, are. Uh, there's no end, there's no satisfaction, there's no resolution with them. One tends to kind of move from one to the other and think, yes, I got it wrong this time, try again this way, and then it didn't seem to work, try again the other way, and then backwards and forwards, going to retreat, and then back into daily life, going to silence, and then going into kind of activity, and, and you know, the getting away, the reducing, the cutting things back, 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 and then the lifting things up and going out. And so there are these, these movements of the mind, movements of the intention, if you like. And, it, and the Buddha said, uh, at least I'm considering it this way, to not follow. But we're not following means that uh, we don't, we watch, we contemplate, we witness that. We're not, we're not following it, we're not rejecting it. It's like a, a way of trying to, instead of just being caught with the particular situation or circumstance or the object of what we're moving to or away from, just to note the movement, the change. This sign of this middle point is first of all realised through a kind of response to the extremes of life rather than trying to find a point that's a thing. I know, well, if that's that position and that's that position, what's the middle position as some other thing to hold or believe in or go towards? But rather than that, the middle path arises not through establishing a third pole, but by a, a response to the other two. To a heart or a mind or an awareness that can encompass both sides, not follow, not be drawn in, and yet witness them. Notice them as change, notice our intentions, notice our movements as change, just as that much. The sign of transience, the sign of impermanence, is, is, is the hallmark of, of, of Buddhist meditation. It's more than just a analysis that things change, it's actually the kind of spaciousness or quality or responsiveness that allows things to change and can keep centred on that simplicity, rather than be alarmed by what changes or delighted by what changes, just, just to be with the rotating, the turning of our life. If we're really with the turning of our life, 
then we find a kind of centre. We are that centre. We are the knowing. The knows change. The knows are lives it moves around from one extreme to the other, from happiness to unhappiness, from wanting more to wanting less, from pleasure to pain, from birth, death, activity, stillness, and so on. To not take sides, to not follow, and yet to to be aware of. Something in this, that which wants to follow, wants to take one position. It want, because it's mesmerised by things, it tends to then seek a view, seek an expression, seek an object, move to one side, either you know, go outwards or go inwards, or try to find a fixity. And this is the contrary to the, to the practice of Dhamma. You can't find that. You have to be that by this constancy of reflection, of awareness, of non-attachment to the, the changing polarities of our life, the going out and the going in, the ups and the downs. So it's an enormous allowing the not following. It's a kind of a gesture of freedom to let things change. Just consider how how easy it is for us to for our energies to accumulate and and read life in in uh, in these ways, you know, to try to find some position, some point whereby our identity is established and where our motivation is established on this or on that. And the difficulty of the centre, the, the, the witnessing, is that it, it doesn't allow anything to, to accumulate around it. You don't actually become anything out of it. The centre position is always empty. It's always, there's always nobody there. There's always nothing in it. So as you practice, your mind is still has that inclination to expect it to be the centre, the, the, the position, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, the truth, the affirmations, to be something, some kind of, now I've got it, some principle, some emotional state, or some intellectual experience, or some spiritual quality, to be present, to be some discernible thing at the centre. And then if we say, well, there's nothing at the centre, it makes you feel, feel well, despair, sadness. Because it's, it's, not, it's not that there's nothing there, it's just that the, the way is one of not seeking something there, of seeking merely to, to allow change, to witness change, to, to be that, that uh, free, that allowing, that kind of giving of our intention, giving of our heart to to the way things turn. Sometimes I'm reminded of the the path of <coughs> it's like these uh, the turning the turning of the dervishes. You ever 
seen or heard the, the spiritual dance or the spiritual ballet of of the of the dervishes who called the whirling dervishes, but they're not whirling is too coarse a word, it's the turning. It's a very stately turning. And the expression of that always begins with a there's this sad sound, which is the sound of the they play a, a sing a reed instrument. It makes this very kind of mournful sound. And that's the sound of the the sense of separation. The kind of feeling of dukkha, or the existential wish to connect, the sense of separation, the feeling of having missed it, the search, comes in as that sound, that kind of this sad sound, which is the beginning of our quest, this particular music in our heart. And yet the, that sound or that music is not used is used actually to set the tone of the of the movement actually the, the sense of the quest is not even to find anything it's just to establish not finding anything but the the mind that looks and is attentive rather than holds or finds and that that quality of dukkha that that sense of inquiry of what is it, of questioning, rather than following it, seeking it as something that you seeing it as something you'll find an answer to, you let that just be the movement of your life, something that keeps you turning, watching, listening, moving, responding, letting things change. It keeps you changing, it keeps you alive, it stops you holding, it stops you freezing up. It's the sound, although it, it, its sound is, is heard as sad, it's actually the sound of life. Our, our, our mind attaches, hears it as sad, but actually it's the kind of, it's the sound of life, the sound that keeps you turning, the sense of the quest or the search or the looker is expressed that way. When we feel that quality in our heart, we're actually always seeking to damp it out rather than listen to it and, as the dervishes do, let our minds turn, to be turned by that sound. Have you ever seen these the dance of the dervishes or the ballet of the dervishes? They, they turn and as they're turning they have one hand points down and one hand points up. The pointing up is to the heaven, and the pointing down is to the earth. And it's round that, that's their expression of, as they're turning, they connect heaven to earth. They connect the timeless to the time-bound. They connect, their turning is the connection of the spirit to matter. The eternal, the absolute God, the Dhamma, to the personal, to the mortal, to the time-bound, to the circumstantial. It's this kind of connection. And with this music, um, that's their expression. And as they turn, they rotate around a centre that's empty, there's nothing in it. And even in their movement, though their bodies are, are turning still, uh, turning continually, Everything about them is still. The, ma the face is still. 
the expression is still, the expression is composed of movement and stillness, heaven and earth, time and timelessness, all being moved by this sound, the sound of life, the sound of the way it is. When we look at this in this kind of drama in, in the terms of in Buddhist terms, just note how the, 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 the feeling of dukkha, of dissatisfaction, of seeking, of incompletion, and we say not to follow it by trying to accumulate things, not to follow it by trying to reduce and get rid of things, but to listen to that sound in yourself, to listen to that mood, that feeling, and let it just keep turning your mind, turning your heart around, so everything is, is experienced, is touched, nothing is held, everything is, is questioned, not in an analytical, give me the answer way, but everything is reflected on, witnessed, noted. That sound, that, that feeling, which at first seems so sad and painful, is actually the thing, the quality that will illuminate our life, because then with that kind of uh, impulse or that direction, everything that happens to us has a certain sacred or fine quality to it. It brings everything alive. We are aware of the, just the, the body. What's that? What's a feeling? What's a thought? What's pain? What's happiness? What's love? What's irritation? What, what, what is seeking? What is finding? What is death or fear? It's this continual... And then we're not finding answers, but we're actually recognizing by opening to these that all these are change. They're nothing. They are aspects of a movement, of a dance. And when they're all allowed, when they're all witnessed, there's a, there's a, a unity, a kind of center of silence that, that can witness and know those, see those, experience that. To connect time to timelessness is the, is the spirit of mindfulness. We take any temporal circumstance, any thought, any feeling, and the time-bound consciousness just thinks that's just a silly thought, or it's a great thought, or it's a feeling, or it's gone, so what? The time-bound consciousness, although it sees things actually, tends to profane everything by judging it, by sticking values on it. It doesn't let things speak for itself, it, it always has some kind of judgment about it as valuable or important or pleasant or ugly, and then it, it kind of, it's finished. It's known and um, as sorted out and dispensed with. To connect, and yet things actually do, we do actually experience thoughts and feelings and sensations and memories and so on. And the timelessness is that which sees everything in this way of, of everything being an aspect of some, some universal quality. So we're looking at the temporal circumstance in a kind of totally patient way, a way that's not trying to push things away 
make things last longer, deny or reject or approve of it, just allowing things to, to, to be the way they are, allowing things to change. So our heart has got a timelessness to it. We don't create time, we don't rush, we don't hold, we don't tighten up, we don't slop, we don't flop out. We're not looking to, to just sleep or rest or act. There's a kind of, we're free from time. And we let things happen through us. We let things turn through us. The uh, feelings, the energies, the memories, the thoughts, the physical activities and so on. Just letting them come and go and turn through us. This is the connection of time, the circumstantial, with a, a non-time-bound heart. In that we, with that mindfulness, we, we know change, we experience it. We experience the blessing of change. Not just this, because change is not just an idea, it's actually the, the witnessing things move rather than things kind of hold and then eventually stop, but everything being constantly alive and flowing and changing through us. So our lives have this stillness and this movement, this kind of turning, turning around. And because we allow things to turn and move and flow and change, there's, a, there's the stillness that does that. To not follow, any extreme, any position, is a, is a third aspect. You can see the positions, you know the positions, you witness the positions, and this, the quality of not following, witnessing, it's, is, is the third, the, the most uh, difficult to express, because it's not, even, it's not really a thing, or a state, or a value, or a judgment. Anything, any attribute you give to it tends to become a, a, another idea or a position. If you say, be, be loving, then you, you tend to imagine some, some particular state that you create towards that. Or be patient. You imagine patience as something that you then do. Or be still, and you imagine stillness as some particular thing. Or be calm, or be centered, or concentrate. And they all become things that we've got ideas about or moods around that, that fill that, we try to fill that space with. That's why actually, although the Buddhist way of expressing things is sometimes frustrating in its ungraspableness, it's also terribly accurate. We see, uh, and the only thing we, we, that is encouraged is to really know this quality of not following. Not just to assume it as another position, but what is it that doesn't follow, that doesn't attach, that doesn't hold? And what is that about? Mm. Is not holding, is it rejection? Is it you know, pushing away? Is it trying to hold some, some other principle? Or is it just the lightness, the allowing, the spaciousness that lets things change? that can see all positions and has none. This is what we try to cultivate in our life. And as much as you do with, with say, just the power of watching or attention, also there has to be the, the 
something that allows us to stop judging, waiting, expecting, seeking and finding. And this is the place of, uh, for all, just for this, is the purpose of religious form. So that our, our uh, attention is no longer, what's this about then? But our attention is like the, the sacred act to bear with, to open to, it becomes a, an expression, a kind of a sacred act, something that allows us to be here, something that we, we feel we honour, something we continue, something we carry through in our lives, something we feel that whatever else happens in the world, this is what we belong to and we go to. It's the kind of the channel, the, the, and the respect and the love and the attention and the sacrifice and the and the minor acts, and the great acts, and the simple personal acts that continually all help to build and, and contain and, and develop this spaciousness. Notice how in, just in, in, in the spiritual life, in mindfulness, every, every individual, every thought, every person, everything is equally important religious life actually honours everything. It doesn't push anything away. It encompasses everything. Every kind of person or individual can, can fit into it, it wants to be in it. Every characteristic can go into that. Every nationality and culture, every character type can, can, get, can go within that. It kind of honours everything. And you see the need for that, that development of a mind that praises and honours and respects and values and cares and attends in this, this way of, of not just uh, seeking or wanting to, to, to extend um, ownership. Because most of our attitudes are very profane, even towards ourselves. We don't honour ourselves. We don't honour others, we don't honour ourselves. We tend to like, dislike, feel some kind of relationship, but to, to honour, right? to use a practice, one of, of actually honouring, honouring what goes through your mind, rather than trying to asking it to be something. This is what mindfulness is about. It may be expressing it in a, in a in a strong way, but what actually will allow things to, to, to be seen, to come and to go, to be felt out, to be really known, to be experienced fully, if it's not a mind that, that bends towards them in, this, in, the, in a way of, of respect and, and uh, listening. And how do you get that listening around? You know, how compulsive it is to listen with a judging mind? How difficult it is not to be worried or concerned or always making this identity of you know, I am like this, I am like that, I am, you know, continually going on. Unless something in you actually turns towards these, the, the feelings and starts to respect them for what they are. And how difficult it is to learn to respect anything at all when, if your whole life is just concerned and, and trained and conditioned by functionalism by 
judgment by liking and disliking, by judgments and opinions and necessities and, and so on. So you could say that almost the, the aim of religious form, the aim of the, the sacredness of the life, the aim of the conventions and the hierarchies and the structures and the, these kind of things, is to try to present an occasion for, for this, this honouring, not adoration, but just the, the, the uh, deference, the sense in which everything is allowed to be, have its own quality, to be as it is. In that, there's a there's a, a kind of harmony, and a togetherness that's not held, it's not glued, it's not it's not stuck. There's a there's a there's a togetherness that has space in it. It's this particular fineness of communion and solitude that is the expression of the holy life, and it's a it's an image of the mind of meditation the mind of the path, the silent centre, the knower of the world. So I'll for this for your reflection tonight. Mm-hmm.